today I'm going to just continue in something that the Lord stirred quite a while back, and we're coming near the conclusion of this. But I read in the book of John where Jesus said, the scriptures speak of me. And as I read that, I realized the book of John had not yet been written when Jesus said that. So the scriptures, he was talking about the Old Testament. And so we understand the New Testament speaks of Jesus, but actually every book of the Bible speaks of Jesus. And we have seen uniquely, even in the first few words, the book of Genesis clearly reveals the Christ. When you look at the uh, Hebrew language and the lettering. Um, so, you know, we've walked through a lot of this in this journey. Today, we're almost to the end of the New Testament. We're in the book of First John. And the, the three books of John there, First, Second, and Third John, um, really you reveal Jesus from this one author in a unique way. First John reveals uh, Jesus as our communion with God. And I want you to think about what that is as we move into this today. Take your notebooks, if you would, pass those down. Take out your note cards, and you'll have something to kind of walk away with and think about. I am going to challenge your thinking today. Uh, I believe when we begin to get next to the ideas of God, that uh, it strains our brain just a little bit, enlarges our capacity, and hopefully we'll never go back. Once the mind is stretched by the thoughts of God, hopefully the mind will never go back to its original shape. And that's our desire today, that we would really press into that. Um, and as you see this today, it's, I want you to understand John. I want you to understand who he is to Jesus, who Jesus is to him, so that you get a bit of an understanding of kind of where he's coming from in his writing. So in preparation for that, I want you to think about your very best friend. Your very best friend. So you picture that person. You might be sitting next to them. Um, they might not live here, but think about your very... Now, I want you to think not just your very best friend, but I want you to think about your closest, most intimate circle of friends and those relationships that are so meaningful to you. I want you to think about how you experience those relationships. And, I, and this is the statement, as you're, as you're putting this in the context of your friendship, the best portion of your life the very best portion of your life will be seemingly insignificant moments spent smiling with people who matter to you. You think about that. How many of you know we live in an entertainment-driven world that markets to us to constantly pursue the BBD, whatever the bigger, better deal is, the bigger, better vacation, the bigger, better experience, the bigger, better this, the bigger, better that, you need to spend your money on this. That's what they're trying to get us to do. And we just have to understand, you know, largely it's frustrating to me as I'm peeling layers back from this more and more, coming to the constant ongoing conclusion that the, the, the world, the culture that you and I live in has evangelized the church more than the church has evangelized the culture in so many ways. So many cultural ideas have crept into the church. We've endorsed them. We've perpetuated them. We've shrouded them with Bible verses, almost making this nonsense seem sacred. We tell people things like, if you want to get married one day, find someone who will make you happy. But the truth is, if you're trying to find someone that will make you happy, you're not loving them. You're using them. And it's a very contrary perspective with a 
flawed foundation and a theology that doesn't line up to Scripture. And I believe God wants to take the church. We understand there's frustration with the church in the world in which you and I live. We understand that. We embrace that. We accept that. We take responsibility for it. Jesus loves the church. Therefore, we love the church. The church is not what she ought to be, but rather than abandoning her, leaving her to her own, we are going to engage with her, and we are going to become more of who God wants us to be as the body of Christ in the loving, serving, giving nature of Jesus. And it's amazing how God invites us. You start to get the context now of friendship, what the meaningful moments are. Now we start to peel back layers, and we can maybe see through a lens that will help us get a greater clarity of what God wants to reveal because God invites us, this is so profound, God invites us through friendship to know Him and to make Him known. Friendship is key to this. I love the Song of Solomon verse. If you're a married couple here today, you need to embrace this verse. The Song of Solomon says, he is my friend and he is my lover. And there's a progression of romance that's born from the core of friendship that the world we live in largely bypasses and we don't even take time to build or establish any meaningful friendship relationship because we're in the chase of this hot romance and this passionate pursuit and we're bypassing the very foundation upon which the building and the structure of our families ought to be built on. And let me just say, enough. Church, be who God's called you to be. Stop buying into the world system. Start embracing what what God's called us to, let it start with the meaningful basis of friendship from which all life will flow. Through friendship, God invites us to experience His love, and through friendship, God invites us to express His love. Your greatest ministry won't happen with strangers. Your greatest ministry will happen with friends. Friendship is a really important part of the kingdom of God. It emanates from our Father who's in heaven who invites us in through Jesus to be friends with God. Like friendship conversation, prayer is not you bringing all of your concerns before the Lord and you know, having your prayerful therapeutic session of just voicing everything. Prayer is you woke up this morning and God was talking to you. Were you paying attention? Prayer is right now you're having three conversations. I'm having a conversation, you're having a conversation, and God's having a conversation. Are you discerning the difference in those conversations that go on in your life? That's prayer. God is so conversational, he sent his son and defined him to us as the word or the logic of God embodied in Christ that we might begin to awaken a chat with him. It's amazing when you really see what this element is. And John carried this in an amazing, amazing way. John is arguably Jesus' closest friend. Jesus walking on the planet. Who was his BFF? Had to be John. There were three disciples that had special time with Jesus, Peter, James, and John. They did things that the disciples, they were invited into places and forums and relationship with Jesus that the other disciples were not. 
But it was John that was seated next to Jesus at the Last Supper. It was John that laid his head on Jesus' chest. It was John that seemed to have this intimate friendship, maybe because John the Beloved was such a young man. We don't really know why, but there was an invitation to John that was very unique while Jesus was alive. And then when Jesus is hanging on the cross about to die, he looks down at his devastated mother. And what does he do? He entrusts his very own mother into the care of John. John had been impacted by the love of Jesus, and his letter makes this very clear. There are three things we see when we read these three letters particularly, and focusing today on 1 John, I'm giving a little extra foundation to this because we're going to be looking at three books, but, but he reveals these things. Number one, we're children of God. We are sons and daughters of God. You have to understand there's a difference in the way you approach the, the throne room of grace when you're a son or when you're a daughter. People uh, will knock on my door and be very respectful and gracious in the way they enter my office, but not my kids. How many of you know? They just open the door and they come in and then they see something's going on. They're like, oh, didn't know you had a meeting going on. Uh, you know, kids are different with their parents, and you got to understand, that's what God's inviting us to. And you know what I tell my kids? Just try to knock and peek in, but you're my daughter. You know, I want my, my children to feel a sense of being parented and invited on another level of relationship. You know why? Because they're my children, and God is our Father, and we are His sons and daughters, and He cares about what's going on in your life, and He wants to have a conversation with you about your situation every day for the rest of your life as long as you live. This is amazing. This is so far from what we've been taught in religious ideology about angry God up in heaven just looking for somebody to pound who doesn't get it right. So he says we're children of God. He then explains in these books, Jesus loves you. Jesus like really wholeheartedly. Jesus doesn't have to pinch his nose to hug you. Jesus doesn't have to look away to give you a pat. Jesus absolutely loves you. We hear it you know, said often, God's not mad at you, God's mad about you. He's crazy about you. Even when you blow it, even when you make a mistake. How many of you know you wallow in guilt and, and, and you separate yourself from God, but he never wants that. The longer you wallow in guilt, the more time you give the enemy to create condemnation in your life. Maybe you've blown it recently. Let it go. Turn to Jesus. Let him restore you. He wants to replenish you. You want to know my definition of spiritual maturity? Pharisees hate it, but I'll tell you what my definition of spiritual maturity is. Spiritual maturity is when we lessen the distance between our sin and our repentance. That's spiritual maturity. Jesus loves you, so first you're children of God, then we see Jesus loves you, and then the third thing, we are commissioned to love one another. You know, there's, um, there's, there's a lot going on in our society, and I, I don't feel compelled to chime in on everything that happens culturally or politically. I think that's a bondage in a lot of spiritual leaders give into it and it's, it's nonsensical. I believe I need to reserve my voice to be a voice that senses the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit in partnership with our elders and anything we feel that needs to be spoken and declared. 
We want to speak and declare that. And I do want to tell you that there is, it is a moment in time where I as a pastor want to rise up and make a declaration in our culture today. And, and I, want, I want to explain it this way. When we came into the year 2017, we believe in New Year's revelation. It's wonderful to have a New Year's resolution. I hope for 2018 you come up with a New Year's resolution. How do you want to you know, self-improve in your life? Uh, what are you going to do? Uh, to, to make life better, and it's great to have those resolutions, but they're secondary to something even more important, and that is what does God want to say to you about your life in 2017, or in this case, 2018? And we call that a New Year's revelation. And so we seek God as a community, asking, Holy Spirit, speak to us. What is it you're desiring to do? And before we came into 2017, that's been a year of great division, by the way, the Holy Spirit spoke to us, 2017 would be a year where love would be our source. Our theme, our focus, our revelation for year 2017 is love is our source. Do you remember my preaching into this and talking about this? When people are kind to us and they give us kindness, it's easy to give them kindness. But when they are unkind to us, we must give them what God gave us instead. Love is our source. God is our source. And for us to enter into these banters of reacting in hatred and and division is a very damaging thing for our society. And God actually deposited us in the earth as a force of love that would hold up a banner and say, there is a way for us to come together. God's plan is for all nations to become one. All nations, all ethnicities, everybody to be able to come one in the banner of Christ Jesus. And that's part of why it is very important that you and I understand our theological obligation and our moral obligation. Anytime a conversation starts to happen in our society from white supremacists or KKK, you and I need to be loud and we need to be vocal and we need to declare that we denounce any association, affiliation, connection in any way with anything like that. That is not who we are. That is not who God is. That is not who Jesus is. I don't know what Middle Eastern Jesus looks like, but I kind of think one day Middle Eastern Jewish Jesus standing there in front of some of the white supremacists might be an interesting conversation. I was invited recently to speak at an event aiming at racial unity. And I was one of several presenters that was invited to to the event. I was very honored to have the opportunity to do this and, and I heard from a lot of varying perspectives, a lot of different people, and it was really interesting, and, and many of the things that were shared, I just kind of marginalized. I thought, yeah, I'm not too sure about that. Some of the things that were shared, I thought, I don't agree with that at all. And some of the things that were shared, I thought, I agree with that. But the most beautiful thing that was shared in the whole four-hour event that I was there, the most beautiful thing that was shared was the person who stood up, and it wasn't even his speech that impacted me, it was the prevailing uh, foundation that he gave us for his speech. And he said, everybody in the room thinks they have it figured out, and all of our conclusions position us to determine that everybody else that doesn't carry the same conclusion is ignorant. And if we can just pardon the ignorance in the room, we can learn to get along. And he's right. Because what happens, we find our position. You understand, your your point of origin will always determine your frame of reference. 
My mom, as a child, got attacked by a blue jay picking up a, a, a bird's egg, and the blue jay flew down and clawed her face, and she's terrified of birds. If you want to tease my mom, is she in here? She was in first service. If you want to tease my mom, get a plastic bird, and next Sunday, show up behind her and just put it behind her shoulder and make a flutter noise, and I will videotape it, and we will put it online, and we might make some money on America's Funniest Home Videos. She's terrified of birds. Why, is she, why does she have this irrational fear of birds? Because her point of origin determines her frame of reference. Whatever your point of origin is, whatever your experience was growing up, whatever you have been exposed to as a, as a point of origin in your life determines your frame of reference. Here's the bottom line. We're all going to carry differing views, but hating on each other or embracing division in any way is not going to help bring together the expression of Jesus Christ that unifies all groups in the nation, causing us to be one in him. Come on, help me a little more than that. Why don't you call it in and declare, this is who we are, this is what we stand for. So agree or not, we want to try to discover the ways of God and embrace those. And let me tamper a little bit with a perspective to challenge. Because I think it is important that, that you understand and we all understand, many faiths have this one thing in common, and that is they try to hide blemishes of their history and their past. Many faiths will take their, their hailed leaders of the faith and they will cover up anything that has not put them in a favorable light. But I want you to hear me when I say, our faith stands in a category all its own because God never hides or erases the problems or history of our lives or the past. He points them out that we might learn from them on a personal level. Many times, God, how many of you made horrible mistakes in your life? Just raise your hand. Church isn't good at embracing this sometimes, but you need to understand, many times God redeems your past by surrounding you with people who need to hear your history so it never becomes their destiny. He's not afraid of the mistakes that have been made. You're mighty men and women of God. And we all need to rise up in understanding the loving nature of God that, that empowers us then to empower others to recognize no matter where we've been, there's a brighter future ahead and we want to paint that picture. And it's a picture of the power of God being demonstrated in all humanity. Jesus said, you will be known by your powerful political conclusions in your world. Jesus said you'll be known by how religiously solid you are about what you've decided to believe. He didn't say those. And this is the thing that I want to just challenge all of us today. And I, I, mean, I say all of us. Believe me, I'm at the front of the line of all these issues. I'm at the front of the line. And I'm asking God, reach into my life surgically, reach into our lives surgically, get past the weeds that are growing that exist that maybe we try to not let everybody see exist and help tamper with the very mechanism deep within our lives and make us more of who he's called us to be. Because I want to say, it's very important that you understand this, so many Christians refuse to allow the Bible to get in the way of what they've decided to believe. So many Christians refuse to let the Bible get in the way of how they've decided to behave. 
We act like infant children running around and doing the the craziest things in, in these attitudes toward others and in the midst of all of this, like we're reactionary and then we're finding verses to substantiate why we behave. That's called excuses. We're finding excuses for our behavior. Rather than behaving and then trying to substantiate it, maybe we should study and then try to live it. I'll drink to that. So this is amazing because what we're trying to do is figure out the ways of God and then like, you know, follow that pattern. So how many of you were a total train wreck before you met Jesus? I'm, I'm waiting. Total train wreck before you met Jesus. Some of you were awesome and you had it together, but most of us are raising our hands saying we're, we were a total train wreck. Like, how many of you would agree God did not agree with your way of thinking, maybe your way of speaking, and your lifestyle before you met Jesus? I know that was me. But this is what's so fascinating to me, mind-boggling almost. The Bible says it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. The, Jesus didn't say we'd be known by how strong we are in believing what we believe and letting everybody know. He said we'll be known by our love and our kindness. And it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance, and we were all a train wreck before we met Jesus, nasty attitudes, nasty ways of thinking. I mean, there, there's some crazy stuff in the past of these people in this room, myself included, yet even though God didn't agree with the way we thought, even though God didn't agree with what we said, even though God didn't agree with who we were or what we did, it was the kindness of the Lord that led us to repentance. What that tells me is you and I, to follow the ways of God, need to understand we are called by God, though we may not agree with the way someone thinks, though we may not agree with what somebody says, we are called by God to be kind to them even in the midst of that because that love, my friend, is what will transform a person's life. Ah, come on, come on, come on, come on. We're releasing something over the land today. We're releasing something over the city today, over the state, over our nation. Come on, intercessors. We're releasing something over the nations of the world today. So you don't have to agree with people to be kind with them. That's the point. It's amazing, but God's not trying to draw people into our beliefs. God's trying to draw people into his love. And like we work hard to try and draw people into our beliefs. But what we really need to do is stop trying to introduce people to faith and just start trying to introduce people to, to love. <laughs> Introducing people to faith is like the presentation of the stuff that we want to encourage them to do because after all, we do know what will bless their life. And it's true. But the problem is that makes us God ourselves when we know what everybody ought to do. And instead, we're really not called to change people. We're called to love people. And if we'll stop trying to change people and just start trying to love people, love will transform our world. I'm just talking about the gospel here. So fill it in on your blank. I think this is one of your blanks. When we get more interested in winning arguments than we are in loving people, then we are simply no longer like Jesus. And there are some folks that are just all given to being in the right argument. I don't care if you're 
I don't care if your point is correct and everybody else is wrong, you don't have to be hateful about it. And let me just say, I'm going to pastor you to the point in this particular situation. And I want to ask you, as a part of a family that's supposed to be expressing and communicating unity and love in our world, stop putting your opinions on social media that are inciting all kinds of reactions. We should be having a conversation. That's not the conversation to have. We need to be having conversations face-to-face with people that we are trying to communicate to as opposed to just starting a fight, broad stroke. Y'all, y'all shouted me better earlier, but I'm just telling you, social media can be a real problem in the world in which you and I live. And it just is facilitating something that our society simply does not need. Not one person in the history of social media ever said, oh man, I'm changing everything I believe because of that post. <laughs> Not one person ever did. One of the greatest problems of the modern day church is that we work so hard to introduce people to what they should do instead of who they should know. God is love. Jesus came to draw us in to the love of God. Knowing God and knowing love is what will change your life. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus' best friend who understood the love of God perhaps better than any human on the planet in Jesus' day, experiencing Him in first hand, He writes and we read, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Love will make you irrational. How many of you here, you are married, and when you were dating, you spent hours on the phone? Raise your hand if that's you, hours on the phone. And you don't do that anymore. Because love makes you irrational, and the fact is, you've got to work so that you have food, so that you can eat, so that you don't die talking on the phone from starvation. And you, you start to get a little bit of reality along the journey. Love will make you irrational. Love will change your behavior. Love will begin to impact the way you think. And, and I, this is what John is saying in the midst of all this. He, he talks about love 40 times in this book. Because love is so imperative. Love is so important. Love is so central. God is not just a loving God. God is love. You understand? There's not another characteristic explanation in the Bible that tells us God is, is the person of love the way that describes. And Jesus comes as the expression of that love to sacrifice and explain what that love really looks like. God is love. So I want you to picture and envision with me. Again, love will, will stir irrational behavior. Love will take you to do things you, you normally would not do in and of yourself. How I many of you know, if you really embrace the love of God, you'll begin to live a sacrificial life that will actually make a difference in the lives of other people. That's irrational. What's rational is I want to live my life for me. But love begins to transform that, and it gets you focusing beyond where you've been. If you really want to experience life, then you need to experience love, because true life is born out of true love. So imagine with me a 23-year-old young lady sitting on a picnic blanket and a snake slithers up beside her. What is she going to do? She's going to scream, she's going to dance, and she's going to run. 
But I want you to imagine with me that this 23-year-old woman had a child two years ago, and the two-year-old is playing on the blanket lying there beside this young lady. Now she's a mom, and the snake slithers up on the blanket. What is she going to do? She's going to scream, she's going to dance, and she is going to pull out some taekwondo like a ninja never could to kill that snake and protect her child. It'll change everything. Why? Because perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love drives me to move beyond my, my emotions that hold me back, and it moves me into a place where I'm beginning to be more of who God created me to be. I care about people around me. I'm not just in this thing to keep myself safe. It's been very well said, Jesus didn't come to, to make you safe. Jesus came to make you dangerous. The next verse in 1 John 4, verse 19, it says, We love because Jesus first loved us, because he first loved us. You need to understand this is imperative that we get this. He did not love us back. He loved us first. And our response determines his reach every day of the week. He did not love us back. He loved us first. Now, I know different people have different expressions. And I'm not trying to get you to be expressive like me, because I'm overly expressive. My, I embarrass my family frequently, and now with a greater use of social media and teenage daughters, the world sees this more and more. So I'm not asking you to have my expression. I'm asking you to have your expression, but I'm asking you, ladies and gentlemen, let's make sure that we give God our very best response because our response determines his reach. And there's something that's going on in the room when worship is taking place that demands more than folded arms and distracted perspectives. There needs to be some worship going on that's releasing the kingdom in the earth. There needs to be something happening when the preaching is taking place. There's shouting going on of whatever that expression is of your life. Now, I know not everybody shows up ready to worship like this. Some people show up ready to worship like a frustrated tambourine player tapping on their chains. However, you need to do it in the progression because it won't be too long after this. You'll actually start doing, you'll start doing the, and then you'll be like free. And then you'll, you'll, you'll look around, you'll be like. <laughs> I put my hand up. <laughs> it's a progression. Wherever you've been, take a step forward. One more step. Your response determines God's reach. That's how you got saved. That's how you release God's kingdom. That's how God's kingdom gets released in the lives of other people. His love. Love is our source. Love is the driving force that defines our soul. Love is the core central foundation that's being awakened in the soil of your life right now as the anointing of God is being released in this room by the noises that we're making together as a family. Love is our source. It goes on in the next verse. It says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Man, this gets tough. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. See, it's interesting when you read 1 John, and this is an important contextual uh, conclusion that we make. By the time 1 John was written, it had now been two, three generations after Jesus, which means that there were second and third generations Christians. 
And I wanted to say, if you are going to impact the next generation with your faith, you need to be on fire and devoted and surrendered completely to the purposes of God because every generation seems to carry a little bit less of what we carry in impartation and they need to embrace it on their own and they'll have a better chance of embracing what God's called them to embrace if you've got fire in your eyes and weight in your words and substance in your soul because you spend time alone with Jesus. Come on now. You got something to release in this place? A big focus of John's letter was to show people in this particular day where many of them had drifted into idle dispositions of devotion, not really devoted to the things of God. And he began to say to them, this is how you can know that you're really a Christian because there's some people that show up in church and they're really not Christians. They're religious. They might be angry. They might be strong in what they say about what they believe, but is there love in their heart? And that's what John says. If you don't have love in your heart, then you better check yourself before you wreck yourself like they used to say a long time ago go. Let's bring that one back. (laughs) That's groovy. (laughs) First John 5 13 last verse for you. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God. So you may know you have eternal life. Let there be certainty. Let there be clarity. Let there be confidence. There is something in all of us that needs a certainty to recognize. We don't have it all together. You don't have it all together. Don't pretend like you have it all together. It will mess you up. Be honest about your weakness. But don't adopt it as a lifestyle. Be honest about your weakness. Talk to people who can pray with you. Talk about that. Get that out there and be healed of that. Don't hide it. Whatever you cover up grows. Whatever you cover up takes root and will produce something. Expose it. Get it out there. I deal with what? Talk to somebody about what you deal with. I deal with this. I deal with that. I want to be honest about this because I don't want it taking over my life. I want to be everything God's called me to be, but I'm certainly not perfect. I just thank God I'm not who I used to be, but today I'm still not who I'm going to be. God's at work in all of our lives. John met Jesus, received Jesus' love, and spent the rest of his life walking with him. John's relationship with Jesus completely and eternally transformed him. This is the true Christian life. This is not trying to come up with a certain temperament and everybody has to be like Mr. Rogers to get to heaven. There are some Mr. Rogers people in the room, and God bless you. Welcome to my neighborhood. I'm glad you're here. But there are some brave hearts in the room, and they need to make some noise and shout and paint their face blue and be warriors. And there are some Martha Stewart types that like to be crafty. And then there's some UFC women fighters. And there's room in the kingdom for everybody. But the core deposit in all of our lives is the same. God is love.